For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is the update. I am Steve Berman, in for Kate Scott. On today's show, your favorite purveyor of San Francisco Giants analysis and jokes, Grant Brisby, joins us to talk about what he saw in spring training, the catching situation, which is actually a bit of optimism for the Giants, in this difficult time when baseball is a little bit questionable in terms of when it's going to be back. It's Friday, Friday the 13th. So Grant, uh, Thursday, MLB play suspended. What are your initial thoughts uh, after gearing up for a season? All of a sudden, it's not going to happen, at least not on time. Not on time. I mean, it's it's the only logical thing, right? Yeah. Every piece of reputable reporting I've seen on this is that you want to not prevent the virus from from spreading. You want to just sort of slow it down, make sure that you aren't overloading the healthcare system. And if I could concoct a nightmare scenario for the spread of a virus, it would be a place filled with an elderly retired population where people fly in for a month and mingle stay in hotels, and then fly back out, and that's Arizona and Florida. There's no other option. There, I understand it's outside. It's not sweaty basketball players bumping into each other, but it, there's no other option. You're just trying to slow it down. Yeah, that was the thing about when reporters were banned from the locker rooms and clubhouses, and you think, okay, I understand that they're trying to make sure that they don't have any players infected until we found out that players are starting to get infected. But the fans themselves, that's a huge factor as well, and it should be just as important as everybody else. Grant, you actually spent time in Arizona before all of this craziness. It was it was a simpler time before everything <laughs> just went haywire and you were able to get back home safely, thank goodness. What was your general feel on the Giants compared to previous spring trainings that you've attended, just in terms of the team's overall vibe and how they looked on the field? It was different insofar as they were more aggressive on the base paths. They were taking the extra base on a ball in the dirt. They were tagging up from second to third on a fly ball to the outfield. A lot more than I've seen. And I don't know if that's just, hey, it's spring, have fun. Or if it's some sort of edict. Or if it's coming for the manager of the front office. I don't know. But they were more aggressive on the base paths. And when you have someone like Billy Hamilton, you've got maybe a little bit more team speed in the outfield than, than you've been used to in the past with maybe Stephen Duggar or Jalen Davis. I don't know where this is coming from, but it was, you know, they were fun. They were they were a fun team to watch. When Cueto was on, he was really on. When Kevin Gaussman was on, he was really, really on. So I'm not saying this is going to be a, a 500 team, but you could see some, a, a little bit of a foundation for a team that could at least keep your attention for just, just a little bit. You mentioned Cueto named the opening day starter for whenever opening day actually happens. He's looked alternately great and, uh, well, not so great this time this spring. What do you think is a reasonable expectation for his 2020 season? Fewer than 200 innings. I think that I think everyone would agree with that. So you're not going to get seven innings every day. I mean, he's, he's rehabbing from, from Tommy John's surgery. You're going to get competent, solid starting pitching with flashes of brilliance. He's going to have a lot to work through. The muscle memory he's got, he's got so many different techniques and, and deliveries and motions. He's going to have to 
refine all of those after a year plus off. So expectations should be fairly low at the same time, a net positive to the team. And that shouldn't be a controversial opinion. Johnny Cueto should be a net positive to any team that has him in the rotation. So the Giants should expect that, I would think, at the very least. Yeah, net positive to the Giants or perhaps any other team. Who knows what will happen this season? You also mentioned Gausman. I didn't actually know that he was looking as good as you sort of referenced a minute or two ago. How about him and Drew Smiley as the number three and number four starters and how they look when you were there? So Gausman had this one. I don't have the exact number of pitches he threw, but he threw two innings in a game while I was there where he absolutely dismantled the other team. So much so that he went down to the bullpen after his two innings to get an extra 20 pitches in. He needed the work, and he just blew. His splitter was diving. His fastball was freezing hitters, making him wave through it. He looked, I mean, the comparison, it's not a perfect comparison, but I've seen it before, and it sort of tickles the imagination is Jason Schmidt, where you had Jason Schmidt was always this top prospect coming up with the Braves, traded to the Pirates, and everyone's sort of just waiting for Jason Schmidt to bust out, bust out. And as someone who's written about national baseball for the last decade or so, Gaussman was always one of those guys. And it always felt like, you know, the Orioles were doing something Orioles-y where they weren't quite extracting the full value from him. And then he went to the Braves and he was great. Then the next year, he kind of collapsed with the Braves. So there goes that theory. But there's always something there. And he has that latent stuff and it's excellent, excellent stuff. It's not like the, the fastball sitting there at 91 now and he's trying to figure out how to make it work with less velocity. He's got it. And when it's on, it looks great now. That doesn't mean it's going to be on throughout the season. Maybe that was just one good two-inning spring training start and we shouldn't get too excited. But at the very least, you know that his ceiling is high. And when you have a, a fourth starter, third starter for uh, X amount of dollars on a one-year deal, you shouldn't have a ceiling that high. So that's there. With Drew Smiley, he is very much an enigma because the last time uh, he really sort of played meaningful innings in baseball was 2016. The last time he was really good was 2015. That was another lifetime ago. That was a different sport almost with the launch angle. 2015, I believe the pitcher still had the advantage. Uh, so, you know, last year he, he set... I want to say a record in home run rate, or he's top 10 in highest home runs allowed for pitchers who threw more than 100 innings. So maybe that's a glitch for someone who hasn't pitched in two years, or maybe that's just sort of what his profile does now is allow a lot of homers and misses a lot of bats, but still allows a lot of homers. So he's an interesting one to watch. I'm a little bit more uh, uh, bullish on Gaussman, but I'm still curious about Smiley. I would say the most exciting player this spring, arguably in the present and definitely for the future, is Joey Bart. So how long do you think it's going to be until the Giants bring him up, assuming he keeps hitting in the minors? And how did he look in person? I don't think the Giants will mess with him because of service time concerns. I think that what they did with Buster Posey is sort of a template where when he was ready, he was ready. And they brought him up in early part of 2010. And if Bart's really, if he goes down and he proves that he's got that contact working, he'll be up. The trick is, is that contact working? Does he have that contact tool, that hit tool? That's going to be, you know, his defense is pretty much good enough to go right now. The power, you see it, it's got that opposite field, that right center, Mike Piazza power, that's good to go. 
But we're talking about a guy who hasn't played a ton above San Jose. I'm looking at it. It's 87 plate appearances in Richmond, AA, and 42 plate appearances in the Arizona Fall League. There's no reason to rush him. It's not like he's a guy with just solid bat-to-ball skills like Posey was, where he's going to come up and hit 300 or come up and hit 280. He might come up and hit 220, and you don't want that. You want him to sort of refine the skills that he already has. And if the Giants are going to slow play him, I really don't think it's going to be because they're manipulating his service time. And you mentioned Posey. Hughes is introspective and really upset with himself, as I've ever seen during media day. Buster is somebody who kind of never really let anyone in before. Everything has always been so even keel. But he really said he was disappointed in his performance, especially offensively last year before pitches and catches reported. And now you look and he's hitting 455 in the spring. Only one walk in 10 games is kind of noteworthy, a little different than what we expect from Buster. But how does he look? Does he look a little differently, both in terms of physical tools or his approach? Well, I talked to Gabe Kapler about it, and he mentioned health. That last year, you probably didn't see the healthiest Buster Posey. Now, there are some caveats with that because he's going to be 33. He's a catcher. Of course, he's not going to have health. I mean, you can't just say, well, he'll be fine now as a 33-year-old major league catcher. That That's not quite how that works. But specifically, you know, the problems with the hip, the work that he had to do to strengthen that in the offseason at the expense of maybe strengthening his core or other parts of his baseball body, that might make a difference. He had a full offseason to work out as he see fit. And I don't know if, if he's healthy. And look, you're not going to get 22 home runs again. You're not going to get 24 home runs in, a, in an MVP again. But if you could go back and just look at what he did in, say, 2017, where he hit for average, he hit 12 home runs, but he controlled the the plate. He had good plate discipline, and he was the, the pitcher whisperer. He was the gold glove catcher. If that happens, they have, the Giants have not just like someone who's okay and good enough to go, but like a really, really strong player. If he's anything less than that, he's still a good player. So they're in a good spot insofar as is that Joey Bart doesn't need to come in and get 500 at bats. When you're, you're talking about the catching position, you have a need for rest, regular rest, mixing and matching, getting guys in, resting this guy maybe one more day just to be just to be sure, just to be a little bit cautious and really making sure that everyone's at their their top physical condition. So it's better than having say two first basemen. If the Giants have two solid catchers, one young, one veteran, that's a good thing. If they have two first basemen sort of doing that, that's a problem. That's Willie McCovey or Orlando Cepeda and you've got to, you know, put one in the outfield or do something weird there. That's not what this is. Catching's not the worst position for this to be a logjam. Usually, I think if we were doing this normally, I would go through uh, 26-man roster permutations and, you know, what about Darren Ruff and how many games in center field are we going to see Dubon play? But let's move on to something else. Actually, it was kind of interesting you said that you talked to Gabe Kapler a little bit. And something that's been, always been interesting following your career is, you know, when the media rules came down, you know, not allowed in the clubhouse and the dugout, what have you, it's something that w- wouldn't really have affected you too much because you've kind of wanted to distance yourself and have a, your voice not be impacted by dealing with the players and the managers and the executives. Is that something that was a little bit new to you to talk to Kapler? And how has that sort of affected the way that you've gone about your writing career? And have you ever had editors or anybody you've worked with say, hey, Grant, maybe you should try interviewing some guys some more and and had to push back on that a little bit? With my last job at SB Nation, I was doing my own thing. But I also, when I had an idea, you know, I said, hey, I want to 
right about this. I've got an opportunity. This guy's coming through Oakland or San Francisco. I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to go talk to Giancarlo Stanton or the bench coach for the Rangers, something like that. I've done it. And and it's not like I'm allergic to talking to people or, or <laughs> leaving my house. But it, when it came to the Giants, it just when I came up, it was very much my niche was as a fan voice. And if I'm going down there and I'm finding out that Aaron Rowan is the sweetest guy in the world, is that going to affect my ability to make dumb blog jokes? And <laughs> that's what I was thinking. And, and, and at the time, it made sense. And I have no regrets for that. Now that I'm with The Athletic and I'm not like... Andy Baggerly's surrogate, but at the same time, if he's not at the ballpark and something goes down, I better damn well represent the company and be down there and ask some questions and, and try and figure it out. It might not be my niche, and I'm still going to be more of a Ray Ratto than a Henry Shulman, but at the same time, I'd at least better be prepared to be a damn grown-up and ask some questions. So that's what I was doing. When Baggerly was, was on a little bit of a sabbatical, I was down in Arizona and just you know, talking to some people and, and trying to do my job as best as I could. Even if it's not my niche, I should be at least competent at it. Well, one thing you've definitely been very competent at and something that I think a lot of people are going to have to get used to in terms that have been used to going to the office every single morning, you've been working from home for several years. <laughs> yes. And in, the, in these times, I kind of figured it might be worthwhile to ask for any tips from you to anybody listening who is like, what am I going to do here? What are some tips in terms of how do you stay on task and what things are kind of best to avoid when you're working from home? See, this is a problem because I sort of think I'm especially bad at working from home. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't think I'm successful at it. And, and the reason is, is I, I just don't know when to stop. I just, I continue working. Yep. I'm constantly just, there's, I'm in my office. I have computers open. Twitter is just funneling stuff into my brain. And it's hard for me to break away from that. When the kids are home, when my family's home, it's hard to break away. So that would be my biggest advice is just know when to break away. Do, don't do what Goofus does. That's me. Do what Gallant does and just take a break. Close the computer. Other than that, seek out other adults, maybe even if it's just a phone call, because I don't do that enough. I'm just sort of in my isolation chamber. And then by the time I pick up the kids... It's like they're talking this weird kid language that hurts my brain. And it's like, <laughs> ah, it's like this high-pitched shrieking sound that I can't understand. And they're talking about things that happen that are important to them. And, and I'm not used to human language, much less children's language. And so I've actually done a better job of that, of just, you know, understanding that when I'm going into a, a situation that I'm the problem, no one else is the problem, I have to adjust and, and not get the bend. So... Just be aware that it's weird and unnatural to be isolated all the time and be easy on yourself, but at the same time, be a little self-reflective. And a lot of fans listening have budgeted time from late March through September to spend a few hours a day or night watching or listening to the Giants, and I think both of us are in this same boat. How do you think you're going to fill the void if we go a long time without baseball, and do you have any recommendations for fans who are like, uh, what do I do now? That is a good point. I don't know. I mean, I have a backlog of dumb ideas, of evergreen ideas that I try and get through the offseason. And maybe, you know, I still have a, a, quite a few where they're just dumb. You don't want to put them out in May when you're concerned about pennant races and stuff like that. But, the, you know, dumb dumb ideas are, are what's going to help people forget, help people sort of if they're at home and they've got nothing to do, no baseball to watch. I have one skill. And it's to write about baseball in this very esoteric, dumb way. 
And that's all I got. I can't hand operate ventilators. Like I, I just, I, I'm not equipped to do anything else but this one really niche, unimportant skill. So I'm going to keep doing it. And if there is a benefit, it is that it's 2020, which is 10 years after the 2010 World Series run, which is when everything changed. And, and there's definitely a lot of opportunities to, to be reflective about that. So I'm sure I'll come up with, with stuff to help people if they want it to take their mind off of the real world. And that, that's all we can do for now. And last question before I let you go. You actually did talk to Gabe Kapler. I think you weren't the only one who was questioning whether or not there was some wisdom in hiring him based on things that happened when he was in Los Angeles and in Philadelphia. What did you think actually in being face-to-face in the same uh, space with them in terms of uh, just kind of the vibe you got off of him? The vibe I got off of him, fine. You know, I'm not, uh, it's not like we had a a long time, long one-on-one. It's it's not like he said, hey, I I read your columns and I I have X, Y, and Z to say about it. It was very just brief and and, uh, professional. And in a lot of respects, the second column that I wrote was about, I'm trying to figure out a delicate way to put this. We wouldn't have cared this much. 10 years, 20 years ago, certainly, you know, and I made an, I I referenced when Bobby Cox was arrested and just a horrible story. And the AP story was written in a way that makes you cringe. It, It highlights all these things that make you go, ah, how is this the AP? How is this not a bigger deal? How is this guy still getting the, the cats, the caps taken off when he leaves the field in 2010? Like this is bad. And so when you go to Kaplan the present day, nothing he did was remotely as bad as a lot of these things from the past. And yet we were still hyper-focused on it. We were still saying, you know, this is what could have been done differently. This is what went wrong. This is what could have been better. And it's, I'm not going to say refreshing is the right word, but it's, it's a notable component of the progress that needs to be made is that we pay attention, we make people accountable for these slights that might have gone unnoticed in the years past. And it's unfortunate for Kapler, but it's also a necessary part of just the conversation that we need in general as a society to point this stuff out, have people answer for it, and go from there. And I don't think it would have happened in the 90s. I don't think it would have happened certainly before then. So it's it's unfortunate. And there's a part of me that I think Kapler, he might feel that this is all unfair. And if he's thinking about it from a perspective of the past, you know, he's, he's not wrong. But this is how it's going to be going forward. And I think that's a net positive to the moral arc of the universe, so to speak. Well said, Grant. And uh, a lot of things that you write are extremely well said, too. And I know that even though there's going to be a little hiatus here in terms of baseball, You'll still come up with some fun, zany ideas for us to kind of stay distracted. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. You got it. Look out for my zaniness. After we finished recording with Grant, MLB came down with a ruling on their plan to suspend play for two weeks into the season. And they said Major League Baseball to delay 2020 opening day by at least two weeks. Spring training games canceled as of 4 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. World Baseball Classic games also postponed. MLB will continue to evaluate ongoing events and effects on scheduling. Following a call with the 30 clubs and after consultation with the Major League Baseball Players Association, Commissioner Rob Manfred today announced that MLB has decided to suspend spring training games 
and to delay the start of the 2020 regular season by at least two weeks due to the national emergency created by the coronavirus pandemic. This action is being taken in the interest of the safety and well-being of our players, clubs, and our millions of loyal fans. MLB will continue to evaluate ongoing events leading up to the start of the season. Guidance related to daily operations and workouts will be relayed to clubs in the coming days. As of 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, forthcoming spring training games have been canceled, and 2020 World Baseball Classic qualifier games in Tucson, Arizona have been postponed indefinitely. Tune into the Athletic Podcast Network, theathletic.com, and our app as we keep you abreast of all changes with this developing story in all of the leagues. Coming up next on the update, we'll talk to one of my favorites in the 49ers media room at Levi Stadium, Matt Barrows. Which 49ers free agents does he expect the team to resign? And which ones might be headed to other teams? How is the team handling scouting and preparation for the NFL draft with the ever-changing rules and travel restrictions? And does he think the 49ers' vote of confidence for Jimmy Garoppolo is legit? Or will they rock the boat and go after Tom Brady? Thanks to all of you for your support for the podcast. We hope to keep you entertained and informed during this tumultuous time. Thank you to Kate, Brian, and Tanika, and we'll look forward to talking to you again on Monday.